What's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotic provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You want to be part of the show? As always, you can into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. People Show. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Bick Nazar, back in the saddle. Welcome back. Brendan Batchelor. The Bick is back. Dom, Victor, running the show. And again, you can always chime in. 650, 650. Big good, shout out to, good uh, to see you. the mighty Brooke Ward. The mighty doing Brooke some, Ward. Doing some damage the last couple of days. Big sick. Uh, yes. Big <laughs> shout out to Chef Swagger as well. Faithful listener <laughs> at Chef Swagger, I think HK on uh, on the Twitter, uh, tweeting uh, sick Nazar. So I quote tweeted that just as a joke. I was like, hey, I'm not owned. Uh, family members have all seen it, and so uh, it has become customary in uh, my group chats to start calling me sick Nazar. When you have a great take, sick Nazar. Yeah, I was gonna say you got to take it the other way as well. Sick. Sick Nazar. Uh, so big shout out again to uh, Chef Swagger and uh, Brooke Ward for uh, filling in, chiming in over the last couple of days. What I miss? Uh, not a whole lot. It's a pretty slow week in sports. Literally the worst week in sports. And like, of course, it's the one week that uh, yeah. Mr. Sportsnet 650 Canberra is like, hey, Batch, you want to come in and host some shows? Perfect. Also, <laughs> we were contemplating whether or not you were faking sick because it is the slowest week of the year. No, man, this is the fun week. This is the chaos week. It's Yeah, that's... This is... Look, I, I walked in here on Monday and saw Brooke Ward as a co-host with me <laughs> for the first time in a very long time, and I was like, this is going to be a chaos week. Look, but it's, it's been a good week. It's the broadcast veteran-savvy move to take this week off, and those that have taken this week off, it's like, hey, those are your closeout five, three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, that's who you want, two minutes... You're you're protecting a one goal lead. That's this is what you want out. load management week. Yeah, is what like, it is. Yeah, you, you want to put those people out like when it matters. And, and the vet savvy, they're there. To me, this is always one of my favorite weeks because we can do literally whatever we want. We get three hours. It's just fun talk about anything. We, we don't have to get to the nitty gritty on everything. We can just chill. We're gonna talk about the the, the Mario Kart Vancouver track later today. This, this to me is a fun week because we can talk about whatever. Uh, but yeah. We I talked just, about yeah. We talked about the the Thailand twenty slices of cheeseburger which, for a a very long amount of time yesterday. Which uh, I I don't know what the consensus was. Was it like you want to try that? No, it was the exact opposite. It's that's way too much cheese. Do you twenty slices? I, I'm, I'm it's interested. literally a a hamburger bun, but there's no meat patty and there's just twenty slices of pro- processed cheese. Because apparently I, I, I it's a thing halloumi in Thailand cheese. right now that I, they put I, cheese on everything. I, I've used halloumi cheese as a replacement for like a, a meat patty. I don't know if I'm stacking more cheese yeah, on but, top of that. Yeah, but like processed cheddar though? Yeah, it's a lot. Like it, I, I could see doing it with an artisan cheese or a, a nicer cheese, but nothing against processed cheddar. Uh, Minor Matt says, food talk, let's go. Yeah, we'll get into more food talk. Hey, look, we have always said the people show, the people drive the show. If, if you want us to talk about something... Like, flood the inbox, 650, 650. We will talk if, about if, pretty well whatever if, you text If something in. takes over the inbox, 
That's what we talk about. That's essentially how Confession Friday started. One confession came in that was a missed text. Uh, Randeep <laughs> and Jamie read it on the air, and suddenly everyone started sending in their confession, and a new segment was born. So, uh, Confession Friday is making its return tomorrow, by the way. This on- is your chance to impact the narrative <laughs> yeah. of the Vancouver sports media. Uh, enough with the cheese talk. Are you guys kidding me? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get into some sports stuff uh, as well as uh, I'm back. Brendan Batchelor, your voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you know, we've heard from you, Batcha, here and there, uh, but uh, at least I haven't, obviously, on the show. Yeah. But uh, full chance to really dissect into a couple of things uh, that I, I know have piqued your interest about what it's going to look like uh, for the coming season here in Vancouver. Um, I, I've had my own fun. Like when, when transactions have happened, and in years past, we've seen it here when Connor Garland arrives and some forwards arrive, thinking, hey, one of the pieces is like oh, one of the fun things to do is what are all the machinations of the line combinations you can do? In years past, it hasn't really been fun to do the defense just because you've known Quinn Hughes, OEL, Myers. A, there's some fatigue to it. People have seen Myers. It's like, all right, like we're doing this again. And, and, and also the talent wasn't there to, to fun to play around with. To me, what's fun about now this new makeup of this defense is you can do that same exercise you've done in the past for the forwards now on the blue line. Yeah. Because not only is it a fresh look, and hey, in just a, a span of a season, it's not as if Philip Ronick was on the team opening night roster. It's not as if Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, you can throw Matt Irwin in there. Obviously, OEL is out, and now here comes a Nikita Hirose. There's just a bunch of fresher names to look at. But the variety of playing styles... And how they merge with with each other, to me, is very interesting. It's it's no longer just as solid as, well, Lucien's skill set is this, and it pairs well with Quinn Hughes because he's a superhero, and you can just do those, and Luke Shen takes care of what he does, and just allow Quinn Hughes to be Quinn Hughes. It's, it's a lot of merging principles mm-hmm. amongst the players. Now, someone like Ian Cole's a bit more defined, but it's a different level of defined than what we've seen from pre- from previous regimes. How about this? Quinn Hughes is going to be the only defenseman, assuming he plays on opening night this coming season, that played on opening night last season. So, you know, as much as this blue line still has some familiar faces on it, this is a pretty big turnover that we've seen take place under Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford over the last year. To me, I agree with what you're saying about, you know, you can actually sort of move pieces and and move parts and figure out who's going to fit in on what pairing more so than in years past. Mm -hmm. But the underlying question to all of it is who gets the most out of Quinn Hughes, I think is, is the interesting one for me or, or maybe a better way to put it is who gets the most out of Quinn Hughes who isn't named Philip Hironic because mm-hmm. I don't think you want to stack your top pairing with those two guys. Look, we're going to see them play together situationally, chasing a goal late in the game. Hironic's got the shot. Hughes is obviously going to be on the ice in key moments. So I'm not saying they're never going to play together, but in terms of being everyday defense partners, I wouldn't expect that as you try to build out a top four that has a bit more depth and punch to it than what we've seen in previous seasons. So that's kind of the question I'm wondering about. And let us know your thoughts on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650, 650 as well. Which defenseman on the back end for the Canucks complements Quinn Hughes the best? Who do you want to see paired there? Who do you think will fit in best with number 43 on that top pairing? Okay, so I, I've got a thought here. And I, I've used this reference to a lot that 
to me, the pairing that's trying to be replicated in an ideal circumstance, once everything gets built out, is a Yossi Ellis pair that we saw in Nashville. Because as much as we talk about, okay, can Quinn Hughes be Kale McCarr? They're totally different players. I, I liken Quinn Hughes' game a lot more to Roman Yossi. Bit more about mobility and passing. And as Quinn's tries to improve the goal scoring, I think it's going to be more goal scoring closer to the net rather than Kale McCarr streaking through and rifling one through people. And Quinn Hughes has specifically cited Roman Yossi yeah. as a guy that gets a lot more shots, is more involved in the offense, and that's something that he aspires to. But when I'm looking at the groupings that you can form right now, you know, what what pairing to you has the highest upside? I think it's Quinn Hughes and Ian Cole. Really? Yeah. So just a, a because Hughes-Heronic one doesn't like... Well, no, no, the, okay. I, I, I'm just talking as like... Hughes-Heronic has the highest upside, if you can, for sure. If you can tilt the ice and just dominate play, to me, that's the one. Now, is it in over abundance of resources to dedicate hey those two guys playing together all the time you're absolutely right yeah that's that's where i'm but getting at I, I guess what interests me then about that is that's the one with the highest upside but who can define the top four and that's why i look at carson Soucy yeah. and says if he's the one that's like hey this guy's legitimate for in the nhl and then you can put him and cole together allows you to do the highest upside because right now i think you're just trying to spread the wealth as much as you can and it makes sense to do it in certain ways and it's just going to come hughes and cole and susie and ronick and and it makes sense and it'll work and i think there's some excitement about it but to me it's still trying to cover as much of the territory just just trying to spread the resources rather than trying to build something that's excellent and exciting yeah and that's the lack of depth coming Mm -hmm. in right where if you had four legitimate top four defensemen, then certainly you could look at that. If you're playing a three and a four on your second pairing and they're legitimate three and four defensemen, then you can have that conversation. We're not sure that Carson Soucy's a four yet. He might not be. He might be a guy that's miscast further up the lineup. And, you know, we could go on for days about the issues the Canucks have had over the last few years and their struggles and the reason why they've lacked success. But if I wanted to boil it down to one phrase, it would be guys cast in roles that they are not suited for. So guys being placed in positions not to succeed, but ultimately to fail because of the lack of depth Mm -hmm. on the hockey club. And so this is getting closer to a point where you can put guys in their optimum position to succeed. And you're right, the optimal pairing is Hughes-Heronic. But because of the depth or lack thereof right now, I don't think you can play mm-hmm. Hughes-Heronic as an everyday pair. I, I would really love to watch that pair, but it might be a scenario We'll get to, to see it. We yeah. will get to watch it. But it, it might be one of those things, too, just because the way it's structured right now. And I've, I've thought about this a lot re- recently, of just how you disperse the minutes. Because I think it's very real. You see a scenario develop where it's, you know, Quinn Hughes is even strength. He's the first guy. Power play is the first guy. But penalty kill, you can argue he gets the fifth most minutes. And you start breaking this through, and where's Heronic? He's probably second in all those three strengths. Ian Cole is probably third in even strength, your last power play guy and your first PK guy. So how you manage the minutes, and could you structure it in a way that the sixth guy is barely playing, but maybe it's a Will Landon who features a little bit on the power play, but he's not he's – not, 
featured very strongly on even strength, and he won't be featured in your PK. And this has allowed you an opportunity to find situational moments to get a Hughes and Roenick together. Yeah, and, and that is something that I'm sure Rick Tockett will explore. And a perfect example of something like that happening is when Rick Tockett arrived last season, he talked about not playing his skilled guys on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. And then he got into the dressing room, in with the group, coached the team, and was like, oh, actually, I really need to play my skilled guys on which, the penalty kill. Which, by the way, should also be a credit to someone like Quinn Hughes. I think one of the things that gets overlooked is, oh, he's just in this offensive demand. Like, he's improved a great deal. He'll also be one to tell you he's, he's taken umbrage with the idea that he can't do these things. Yeah. So it's a credit to him to able play those minutes and do it effectively. Is that something that we see moving forward? But th- there's a want and a desire to try to reduce those minutes. Yeah. So, uh, for example, as we, you know, I take that example about playing the skilled guys on the penalty kill when Tockett didn't really want to, but once he got in, realized that was his best route to success. I could absolutely see that happening with Hughes Heronic. And as I said, situationally, I think we're going to see it no matter what, but we may see it more than we think if it becomes apparent to him that, like, oh, we're not getting much offense from the blue line. We need more offense from the back end if we want to have success. Therefore, I've got to stick my two best offensive guys together and allow them to create. But, again, even even in a scenario where you want to do that, I, I worry about a Cole-Susie mm-hmm. second pairing. Or if you split it up and went Cole-Myers with Wallanen and mm-hmm. Susie, if we're assuming Wallanen's going to be that other defenseman. Um I, I worry about what you're missing on those other two pairings. But at the same time, you're limiting your ceiling by not playing your best two guys together. I have one more proposition for you here. And and this is the one that like why I started thinking about how the minutes get dispersed, kind of like the basketball lineup. Yeah. Um of just staggering the minutes because you know there, there's no position group I think that's that adjusts better to chaos than decor because one player goes out how frequently do you see a game played with five d-men and they just figure it out we've seen the canucks finish games with four d-men or or seven and you just kind of figure it out right players it it, it, we don't talk about defensive chemistry as much as we do forward groups because offense is fun and we want to talk about offense yeah yeah but but it's also you know chemistry leads to goals and obviously defensive chemistry is important but it feels there's more interchangeability when it comes to deep pairings what if the the way we keep discussing it is like the, the the sixth guy is playing on the third pair? What if there's a scenario where you pair uh, uh, Wolanin, Irwin with Philip Ronick, and it's like it's Ian Cole and Carson Susie with Tyler Myers, right? And and just to to stagger it that way, and Wolanin could be a guy that complements someone like Ronick because you know less so at the NHL level, yeah. but at the AHL level, he's a proven offensive defenseman. And, and just because you're playing him on the quote-unquote second pair does not mean he's getting top four minutes. It's just when the, when there's an offensive zone face-off and it's Philip Pronick's time to go out, okay, now it's Christian Willanen's time to go out or Irwin's time or Hirose, whatever it is. That sixth person, if they're paired on the second pair in situational moments, do they end up with the sixth most minutes in the game? Yes, but in situations, are they put into the right environments that they can play in? And I think... One thing that's exciting about this year than we've seen in the past and why I think the diversity and skill set and also just the players, I think you can play around with the minutes. And I think there's a willingness to want to do that from this coaching staff too. And, you know, as much as like I, one of my hallmarks is I'm the guy that tweets out the lines. Sure. We need to get away from thinking about lines as 
we have as rigid traditionally. Yeah. And a, a good example is in soccer, right? Everybody talks about formations, 4-4-2, 4-3-3, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. A really good team like Manchester City plays different formations based on different phases of the game. When they have the ball, they do one thing. When they don't have the ball, they do another thing. When they're pressing, they do this. When they're retreating and and going back into some sort of defensive positioning, they do that. And guys will not even necessarily play the same position all the time based on what they're doing situationally within a game of soccer. And I think we should be looking at hockey in the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Where Yeah, there's still defensemen and forwards, although it wouldn't surprise me at all if with the the proliferation of guys like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr that we get kind of rover-type guys who are almost a fourth forward out there. Yeah, the lines are being blurred a lot more. Right? So just because, you know, and I make a joke about it this all the time, tweet the lines in the order that they skate, but, like, if a incredibly skilled player ends up on your quote-unquote third line but is still playing the fourth most minutes on your team and is one of your leading scorers, then who cares if you're having success? Yeah. It's about taking the 12 forwards, six defensemen, and the two goaltenders that you dress on any night and getting the most out of them in every single situation in the game. So... And and we already talk about this. Just because a guy starts the game on the first line doesn't mean he's going to end the game on the first line, doesn't mean he's, you know, bolted into that spot guaranteed. And so as much as I'm the lines guy, we should be thinking less about lines and more about what situations can this player be used in to allow the team to have the most success. Not to mention there's there's off nights. There's guys that are thriving, and you're going to adjust the minutes as – those minutes need to be allocated for players that are succeeding and you know struggling in a game. But you know, as you mentioned, like game environment matters, opponents going to matter in this scenario, and also just skill set is also going to matter in this scenario. And I, I just kind of look at it in my my mind's eye here is if a scenario develops where it's you know Quinn Hughes and Ian Cole as you mentioned, and then yeah you you do Susie with Myers. That's technically all well, the two most experienced, and that's going to be your top four. But it's more about the minute disbursement than it is the title of you're on the second pair and it's a Will Landon and a Ronick. And you just find the ways to make those minutes work and it could work out. You know, Tyler Myers gets the fifth most even strength minutes and the fifth most power play minutes, but the fourth most PK minutes. That's his role. His role is going to be the second pairing PK. And, you know, we've had Yannick Hansen on the station so often and he's just harped on players when they understand their roles, that there's no looking back over at the coach be like, Am I the one that's coming out to play the shift and in this spot? You just know who you are. And if you can define how the minutes are going to get allocated, because there's been some blending of of skill sets. For someone like Oliver ekman Larson, it was he's a puck-moving, point-producing D-man. He, in his prime, was also able to do all these other things, but he was miscast to do those things. His primary skill set was not to be a shutdown guy. And part of his failing in Vancouver was his inability to adapt as some of the the tools that he had in his toolbox when he was younger were taken mm-hmm. away from him with age. Absolutely. And so, you know, to your point of, of making all these in-game adjustments and how it's looked, because of the, the skills of a, an Ian Cole, the role is more defined. So I, I care less about the pairings. I care more about how the minutes are getting allocated and, and how that's going to rank. And I could see a scenario where it's like, just for even strength minutes, it's Quinn Hughes, Philip Peronick, Ian Cole, Carson Susie, Tyler Myers, and your sixth D-man. Let's just say it's Christian Orlando right now. If that's how it stacks up, cool. I'm If it's Cole in the second pairing with Peronick and Susie with – I'm less concerned about that at, at this point. Obviously, when you get to game 50, game 70, and if they're trending towards the playoffs, then it's going to start to matter. 
but in building it out, I'm, I care more about how the coaching staff views who's going to get what role. Yeah. You know, the way I think about it is like the boxing term styles make fights. Yes. Where I think maybe the conversation we should be having and the reason why I think Ian Cole might ultimately be the best fit with Quinn Hughes is what style of player does Quinn Hughes need to play with to have the most success? Do you want Philip Heronik, who is another offensively gifted defenseman, albeit with a different profile than Hughes? You know, he's got a heavier shot, not as good of a puck mover, I would argue. I I don't think that's something most people would disagree with. Or, as we've seen, and and again, it doesn't necessarily make sense, but Quinn Hughes has had success with guys that profile to be more defensive. And a perfect mm-hmm. example of that is Noah Juleson last year, who I thought did really well mm-hmm. when playing with Quinn Hughes, and that pairing had really good results. Now, Noah Juleson's a guy that most people aren't expecting to be in the top six going into the season. But I wonder about something like that, because if that guy gets the most out of Quinn Hughes, you should be playing him there. The question is, does he get the most? And in Juleson's case, the answer is probably not because you're going to debate whether he's an everyday top six defenseman in the NHL. But in the in the core of guys that you expect to make this team right now, and there's five of them for sure, and then a sixth spot that'll be up for grabs, whose style of game will complement Quinn Hughes the best? To allow him... Mm-hmm. So do you need a defensive guy there so that Quinn Hughes has the green light all the time and can jump up in the rush? Or do you want another offensive guy like Heronik so that they can trade off and both have opportunity to create chances? That, to me, is the more interesting question. Uh, this one, as we're talking about the right side of defense, uh, this uh, text comes in. So other than Myers and Ronick, who else is effective on the right side and doesn't have a large drop-off in play? So Ian Cole's featured on the right side. He's played with Victor Hedman as well. Uh, he can play on that side. But, you again, the, the name you mentioned where we're, uh, with Noah Juleson. Someone I've, I've liked a, a lot uh, – Injuries always kind of got in the way. Uh, some time in Laval as well. So him getting that opportunity and thriving, it's end of season. It's not something you write in stone to start yeah. the season. But It wouldn't surprise me if it's something they look at in training yeah. camp or the preseason at the very least. Uh, so just a- another name to, to tuck away when we're discussing the Canucks blue line. Plenty more on the People Show on the way. A full show. Uh, some people are texting and Talk about F1. Well, today we are. Our good friend uh, from SB Nation, Mark Schofield, F1 writer, also NFL writer over there at SB Nation, will join us later on in the show, along with uh, Barkley Parnetta. Some news about the Vancouver Giants today with a departing head coach. Uh, big hats off uh, to Michael Dick as well. Uh, we'll get into that with Barkley Parnetta. Brad May will join us uh, for a listener mailbag, his final edition on the People's Show as we head into our summer schedules. But Ali Ahmed will join us next uh, from the Vancouver Whitecaps, making his debut for Soccer Canada as well uh, on the way here on the People's Show, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You look at the underneath group, you know, the um, Ustachios, the Ali Ahmeds, the um, Alistair Johnsons, um, I mean, those Kikonias, you know, hoping that they get the move to, you know, a, a, a top five uh, team as well. I mean, there's, 
there's potential there underneath that it might be another season or two but there's players there that could also make that next step John Herdman on Halford and Bruff earlier this week national Halford and Bruff Welcome back uh, to the People Show. Bick Nazar, Brendan Batchelor, uh, and John Herdman talking about uh, progress for Soccer Canada and Ali Ahmed as well. I uh, was going to be joining us here in just a second. Interesting times, uh, you know, the post World Cup stretch now, and, and now you're building for the next cycle. And we got to fall in love with so many players to push Soccer Canada to Qatar, and now you're getting ready for this next cycle. And it, it, interesting comments there from John Herdman and. We're going to fall in love with all these new names that are going to get their opportunities. And we saw one here recently with Ali Ahmed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be the the interesting thing for this program going forward. And John Herdman talks it, about it there is making that next step. And mm-hmm. the, the group of young players pushing up from underneath to help complement some of the guys that have been stars for Team Canada to this point, and Ali is one of them. Let's uh, talk to him now, who joins us uh, from your Vancouver Whitecaps and also Soccer Canada. Ali Ahmed joins us now. Uh, congratulations uh, on the Thank debut for Canada. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, what was that moment like, and uh, what were you thinking uh, in the lead-up to the match? Uh, that was definitely one of, I think, probably one of the most high, uh, highlighted for my for my soccer career so far, uh, playing in Toronto in front of my family and friends at the BMO Field, a uh, stadium that I've been a fan, sitting inside there and you know to 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 put that Canadian jersey on and and play there was was very special honestly it was I can't I can't I didn't even get to soak it in yet to be honest. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, what is the the feeling like for you when you step out on the pitch? Are you trying to soak it in? Are you thinking about some of the people that helped you get to that point, or is it just sheer excitement and adrenaline? Uh, for me, I think it's just all all excitement and adrenaline. You know, uh, you go out there and, you know, uh, of course you're nervous a bit. You know, you, you, you see, you come out, you see everybody there, you see the stadium is packed and it's your it's your stadium you grew you you grew up watching and uh being a fan of and as but for me i think as soon as uh, the whistle blows and as soon as you get your first touch on the ball and and honestly as soon as you complete a pass you you know i, I completely forget everything and it just just super clocked in super locked in and and i just just try to be me and play football and Everything goes away, nerves go away, and you know you just you just do what you, you do what you do. Who was the uh, first phone call to then after the match, or or, or family coming down to you uh, in the dressing room after the match? Um, yeah, I was getting I was getting a lot of love after that game. <laughs> you know, uh, obviously my family was at the stadium, so after the game, I I went to them first, and and my family and friends, you know, everybody congratulating me and. Some of them telling me, "Oh, man of the match, man of the match." I'm, and to be honest, though, man, I was uh, that game after the game. Uh, I was, I was devastated uh, to to lose like that. And you know, we thought, I thought, I thought we had it. You know, to lose in the last minute, it was it was very tough. Uh, I was pretty pretty upset, but uh, I couldn't really enjoy it until the next day because of that that result was. In, that was always in my head a bit, 
But yeah, uh, you know, I, I was getting a lot of love for sure from everybody. You know, I think a lot of people were surprised uh, because it was my first game, but people were telling me you didn't play like it was your first game. Or some people were telling me, oh, uh, <laughs> some people didn't know you, now they know you now. <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a good game. What has it been like for you to work with and learn from John Herdman and, and the group of players there after, uh, of course, a World Cup appearance for them in the, mm-hmm. the not-too-recent past? Uh, it was uh, it was amazing, man. I was, everybody was asking me so far. I've, I've told them uh, it was it was one of the best experiences I've, I've had playing for John. And, you know, I think even the guys were amazing, man. Uh, I think it's a testament to the culture John has created there, man, from top to bottom. You know, the med staff, the operations staff, the coaching staff. Uh, I think it all starts with John, and, and, and it was, you know, it was such a good environment to be a part of. You know, when you go to a new environment, uh, you know, you could have some challenges trying to meet new people, and, you know, it's, it's not always easy. It's never, it's never easy sometimes. So, uh, but I think, you know, the guys, the guys, they knew that and they made my job and all the younger and newer guys job so much more easier. So, you know, just, just to be you and just off the field, be you on the field, be you, you know, you create, you know, you create a lot of friendships because, you know, they're very good. They're amazing guys, man. And, and John himself was uh, a joy, joy to play for, you know, he gets everybody locked in and everybody to buy in and. You know, he gets guys going, guys ready to run through a wall. You know, he, I think he's a guy, uh, 1 to 23, all, all 23 players really enjoyed, you know, fighting for him, working for him. And he's definitely a, a top guy, a top coach. What's the messaging been like, uh, you know, after the World Cup, a new cycle begins and, and it feels like the tone has changed. There, there's so much about, you know, unity in, in the last four years getting ready for the World Cup. What's been the messaging mm-hmm. like f- since then and, and giving players like yourself opportunities? Um, yeah, as you, you've seen uh, this past Gold Cup, you know, obviously it's a couple other guys, you know, uh, they got their chance to, 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 to make a name for themselves and, and uh you know obviously we in the 2026 world cup you know seems like a long time from now but it really isn't and you know you have other competitions coming up but you know the message was just uh, to to be that same group uh that worked so hard to qualify for the world cup you know everybody uh you know who hasn't experienced that though you know they 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 translated that to us pretty clearly so you know all the new guys who came in for the Gold Cup, uh, they they were all bought in right away from day one. You know, training every training I I was there. It was it was it was pretty intense. Everybody working hard off the field. Everybody being professional. You know, everybody just ready ready to go after. So I think uh, you know the message that John and the guys uh, wanted from everybody was. I think we all showed we all we all showed a bit of that in the Gold Cup. But you know, we got to continue that same mentality and same attitude. For, for 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 the upcoming uh, competitions. You touched on this a little bit, but when you go to a, a Canadian national team camp, how mm-hmm. much are you trying to soak up everything from the players that have more experience at that level, have played yeah. at, at higher levels? Like, are you are you watching Alfonso Davies? You know, or are you watching mm-hmm. Tejon Buchanan? Are you trying to sort of pick their brains and understand some of the things mm-hmm. that have allowed them to have so much success in their careers? 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. You definitely uh, try to, from everybody there, honestly, from from the players to staff, even you know you 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 soak up every moment. Moment for me, I wasn't taking any of that for granted. You know, every every day I was there, it was just it was a joy for me. Uh, you know, so you try to you try to pick everybody's brain. You know, of course, guys who who've been to World Cups, you know, you they they have more experience and knowledge. You know, you want to get there too, so you know it's it's good to pick up uh, some some pieces from the guys and uh, and 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 hopefully add it to your to your uh, your experience and your game. Talking to Ali Ahmed from the Vancouver Whitecaps and also uh, for Soccer Canada, uh, earning his debut. Now you you earn your debut and the program's under a lot of scrutiny here recently. You know how how, how tough is that to 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 fulfill the dream and also kind of look around and say like there's been a lot of public scrutiny and, and a lot of fans you know demanding more from the program and to to, to support the players as well. Um, honestly, uh, for me, you know. I try not to focus too much on the outside, you know, uh, especially as being as a new, uh, a new, a new player there. So yeah, I just, you just try to focus on your, on what you could do on the field and, and just try to, you know, uh, uh, make a name for yourself with the, with the coaching staff and just try to prove uh, that you, be, you can belong. But of course you see a bit, uh, you know, but you try not to focus too much, but I feel like the fans, uh, you know, demanding more is, is I think it's, it's a good thing, you know. Uh, it's definitely a good thing uh, because I think we've proved that we belong and and we should be competing with the best. So it's fair. I think it's fair. But um, you know, for me, I just try to go out there and, and do my and do my job. From a club football perspective, how have you felt about the season with the Whitecaps to this point? I I feel like it's you know for me it's been going well. Um, I've been been injured a bit for for from that concussion and and obviously i just i just came back with the uh, team canada but i picked up a little knock in that usa game uh so day to day right now but hopefully should hopefully good to go for saturday's game but apart from that um everything you know i think it's a good season for us i think we got a good team a really strong team you know i think we're gonna get everybody back now uh we're, we're trying to make a strong push this year you know we're trying to go as far as possible because we believe that we we are one of the best teams and we feel like you know we can compete with the top in the west and 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 we're trying to we're trying to go far and win it this year uh, and you know hopefully i can continue uh, um, a strong player and uh and, and continue going with the, with the, with the white caps what did it mean to you to be a part of uh winning the canadian championship and also from a personal perspective, being named the best mm-hmm. young player in the tournament as well. Ah, uh, that was special for sure. You know, you you always, as a player, you always want to win trophies. You know, you always want to, you you always want to win win something. So, and to 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 win the Canadian Championship was you know special for me. Uh, you know, growing up as a kid in soccer, you you know you watch some, you watch you watch a lot of a lot of the, the MLS teams, and you know you watch you see this competition and. You know, it's a it's it's a it's a good it's a good tournament. So to win that was special, and of course, winning the young Canadian player of the tournament was, you know, another another thing I'm grateful for. You know, uh, I wasn't really pushing for too focused on that, but you know, if you if you play well, you get rewarded. So I'm definitely excited for that. Hey Ali, we really appreciate it. Uh, again, congratulations on the success and uh, rest up, and hopefully see you Saturday. Thank thank you guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Ali.
That's Ali yeah, Ahmed, who joins us uh, from the Whitecaps and also Soccer Canada, making his debut here recently uh, in the Gold Cup for Canada. Dick Nazar, Brendan Batchelor here on the People Show. Victor running the show. Also got Dom here uh, behind the glass. And uh, Dom, are you okay? Just we didn't cut Ali off in time there, and he's like, "Yeah, all right, no, that's, that's good." Yeah. Thank you. Just checking in general, though. You okay? Because you uh, took some shots online today. I did from uh, Pukdoku. It wasn't a shot at me. Well, I mean, it's kind of a shot at you. So, so Pukdoku, which is now like taking over NHL social media and NHL. Oh, just, and there's nothing else to do in the summertime. Discourse in general. Uh, I'm Dom called it overrated it. when we did overrated, underrated yesterday. Oh, oh it's grossly wow. overrated. Right, but now you you did the NBA one. Are you are you bought into the, the, no, the, it's the fever? No, it's frustrating and I hate it. The immaculate grid. Uh, but Puck Doku kind of took shots at, so Reach Deep, uh, famously, had Password. And it's, oh, I never heard that before. Yeah. None and of the people involved in that show have ever talked about that to me in any capacity. And you never texted in answers on the daily. <laughs> I wasn't on the daily. It was occasionally. Semi-daily. I, I took part. I participated. Uh, so there's a Reach Deep reunion happening uh, right now. Bright in the morning uh, On 650. Uh, Dan Riccio, Randy Janda. And they've started doing Pukdoku, which if you haven't followed online. Uh, Hockey Sudoku. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's taking over like Wordle. Like friends are all messaging me about in it. the sports world in in the, in the hockey yeah. world yeah like yeah. there's there's the football version the basketball version the hockey version and Baseball. on and on uh, the puck doku account uh, quote tweeted today uh, tagging in Randeep and and Riccio said got to agree that puck doku is a much better fit than your show than password shots fired Dom shots fired so I need to know when did you and Sat there's... set up puck doku <laughs> how long have you been working on this. When will there be ads on the website? Yeah, why aren't you monetizing it more effectively? Why That's why I was here. away for four days. It was like R&R meetings. What's the next evolution? <laughs> you it know, lines the, up too perfectly, Bic. They changed the format of it. It's like relocated teams. Now you can do re- – it's all changed. You know, a lot of tough business meetings the last four days. But are, are you okay? You when know? is the app coming? <laughs> When's the app coming? <laughs> Password allegedly sweeping the nation, but now here's Puck Doku. Well, when taking he... shots. It's like this is one that's actually sweeping the nation. I don't think and, it's and and doing like the Steve Austin stomp in the corner on Password. It's no secret that uh, the man in charge plus Sat and Bick <laughs> were the heads of the demise of Password. So just because we pointed out the obvious flaws. There was no flaws. You guys made it. There was no flaws? No, you can't say there was no flaws. Literally, Puck Doku's coming out of the woodworks right now. It's like, this is better than Password. Well, it's your burner. What am I supposed to expect? It's my burner. Uh, By the way, I want to get your guys' take on this. What's the etiquette with, like, whether it's Puck Doku or Wordle or whatever Mm -hmm. it is in terms of spoilers? Because, like, for example, I... You can't do it. And I'm not going to out my buddy on the air, but I had a buddy today... What's his name? In a group, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who uh, who sent in a, one of our group chats his results. So not just like the colored bars, but actually like what players Oh, the screenshot. Picked. Of, the actual oh, screenshot that's... of his players. And I was like, okay, well, great. Now I've seen all the players that I could pick. Yeah, you can't trust that. I'm not going to do again. it. Yeah. Like, is there, an, if it's one every day, like, is there a certain time that, okay, if you haven't done it by noon, then I could spoil it because you should have done it by Late now? Evening. or. Six o'clock, seven o'clock. No, I think you need confirmation. Like, like hey, has everyone you should, done you, it? You should be like, can I post it in here? Yeah. Have you guys done it? Don't be the jerk. Oh, you can do that. Don't be the sure. jerk. But if, like, 
un, unannounced, I think late evening you're you're fine. If if by seven o'clock, yeah, like you're you're finishing dinner and it hasn't popped off in the group chat or anyone, then I'm posting. Well, I don't know. People people work shifts. Someone could have been up all night and slept all day. You never know. Well, if you know that person, then you would ask. But I think normal etiquette is confirm. Is there a soccer doku, by the way? That's what oh, I, want. I would be in on that. That's what I want. Ooh, I've I've seen I'm sure like there, is. there are some accounts on TikTok that do like name the player and it shows his career path, yeah. like the order of clubs he went to, and sure. you have to figure out who it is. So it's it would essentially what this is. It wouldn't be too far team. of a jump yeah. from that. Yeah. Are we are we including like youth academies and everything like that? By the way, you're you're running this account. Why don't you implement it? Like, come on, Nick. Soccer Doku, that's your next venture. I wish. The, the other I thing wish. I'm wondering is on the topic of spoilers, like with with TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. When, how long is that? Twenty four hour grace period. Twenty four hour grace period yeah. only. Oh no 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 for hot releases on TV shows. For, for yes. TV shows, like I, I'll give forty eight hours. The, okay, the big finale of a TV show, like like Game of Thrones. If if, if you didn't watch it in twenty four hours, I was yeah. on you. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I th- I think there should be a longer grace period for You're TV because well, people have busy lives. They're doing things. You know, you can't necessarily sit down and watch an hour of TV and those every people, single evening. Those people are the ones that go, "Hey, don't spoil it for me. Haven't seen it yet." Yeah. Hey, don't uh, do it. But thing is, is, like you know, like you knew Game of Thrones coming out Sunday yeah. night all the time. If you were busy on Sunday, wait, well, I'll give you till Tuesday morning, basically. It's like people who tune into a sports talk show and go, ah, I recorded that game. Don't talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. Oh, we, don't uh, go on Twitter if you don't want to know what 100%. happened. I get that all the time in-game if we talk about the out-of-town scoreboard. Or I'll be like, oh, the Blue Jays had a big win today. What do you think? People will be like, I was going to watch that. Well, don't listen <laughs> if you're going to, you know. For, for, for TV and sports. It, it's on you. If you want, yeah. for sports, if you don't want to get spoiled on sports, yeah. Then you need to go into like a bubble where you turn off your phone and you don't listen or watch anything until the game. Airplane mode, just just go into airplane mode. Uh, for for TV go shows, go into an Aaron Rodgers like dark room. <laughs> <laughs> for, for TV shows, I've always said it's like the the grace period is a lot less because for movies you have to go to the theater yes to go see it. So I can give like years for movies, TV shows, especially like a big a big finale. I'll say like. 24 hours uh, a random episode i'll give a week but for tv it's like it's in your living room you have access to it at any time i understand busy lives and all that stuff but I'll, I'll give what if someone's on holiday they're away they can't come back for a couple weeks after i'm it. probably not just talking to them in general then if they're on holiday hey not batch including me in their holiday bambi's mom dies in the end <laughs> yeah okay so like movies there's i'll give i'll give like a five-year grace period but if, if you if you don't understand like usual suspects what happens at the end now i'm not gonna spoil it right now but like that's so, on you. oh okay. So if you're not willing to spoil it right now, then it must not be. Well, like past I'm on the, the air. Of... <laughs> he doesn't want to get dragged. Uh, I, I, we have like 18 year old listeners. Like usual suspect. What's that movie? I should go watch that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember the specifics of it, but there's a stand up comedian who I saw a clip of who has a bit about the end of the Sixth Sense, and they're doing it, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, spoiler alert." Yeah. I'm not going to say what it is either because I'm terrified of people being mad at me for spoiling things. But we all know what the big if, spoiler if, if, if at the end now, of The Sixth Sense is. Yeah. yeah. Like 25 years on or however old that movie is. Like, I wasn't born when The Godfather came out, but I knew everything that happened in The Godfather before I even watched it. I'm pretty sure Randeep watched it in the womb. <laughs> he loves that movie. Yeah. You know when Best parents movie put headphones on the, on the belly? <laughs> yeah, it was music? just the... It was just the- you come Audio to me version. on the day of my daughter's wedding. Yeah. 
650, 650 into the inbox here. Colin from the Caribou, uh, you, you guys might have to update me here. Uh, this Bic that's on the air is an imposter. The real Bic was spotted making it rain at number five. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is what was happening yesterday where people were texting in saying that you weren't sick because they saw you passing them on the grind or the crunch or oh, okay, so I did get a tweet riding yesterday. a horse down Broadway, I think was one Old of the Town ones Road. we got in. Yeah. Old Town Road. I did get a tweet Trust yesterday that uh, from, from Boyle uh, that I, I was lapped twice on the Coquillum Crunch. I was like, what's going on here? So, yeah. So, it was it was like, where's Waldo? Where, where's Bick in Vancouver? Correct. Shout out to that. Colin from the Caribou also says he just started Succession. No spoilers. Yeah. I tried one season of that. I just I couldn't I couldn't get it. I Succession the, just like bank entourage. I watched the like an epic <laughs> I watched like an episode and a half on a plane and I came away from it being like I don't like any of the characters. Yeah, it was, honestly, and if I don't have someone to root for, you lose me pretty much. Have late. you seen White Lotus? I haven't, no. That's the same thing. Okay, well then good. It, it's a really well done show and like I understand all the hype, but same thing. It's like I didn't like one of the characters. Give me one redeeming person that I can follow along. It's like, oh, yeah, this person. And it's kind of the new age of TV shows, you know, from Sopranos to Breaking Bad. It's like the antihero, which is very interesting. But the antihero is still someone you want to root for. It can't be like a— But it can't oh, be antiheroes. I don't need nine of them. I need one of them to be like, I hate this person, but I'll watch along. You can't have seven people that are unlikable in a show. But even people, even anti-heroes have to have qualities sure. that allow you to get into their head. And like Breaking Bad is a great example where he started as an anti-hero and mm-hmm. he ended as being a guy that you couldn't stand. And that to me was fascinating to watch that development. But if you're going to start the series with the guy that you can't stand and you got to watch him, I'm out. Let alone five of them or whatever. White Lotus is a show on Crave or HBO, whatever. Uh, you're about... reading it right off Wikipedia. No, I'm not. White Lotus I've is a show it. that debuted in. Uh... It's about seven or eight seven season <laughs> seven or eight people that you can't stand that are on vacation. It's so location. not only is and it they're people all that terrible. You, not is it only people that you can't stand, but it's them in idyllic situations that you would rather be like, oh yes. here they all are on the beach yeah. in Hawaii. Oh great. Thanks. And they're all just being the biggest douches. Here for that. Yeah. Here for that. Might check it out over it, the Like summer. does do they have untimely demises as the show like can you no like, spoilers, Batch. No spoilers. Okay, but no like, spoilers. my point is like, is there a point where like they lose or something, and you can revel in no the spoilers, fact? No spoilers, Batch. Like, okay. No spoilers. But you know what I mean, right? Yes. Like, is it just them having fun on vacation and no. that's it, no. or is there a com- competitive aspect to it? There, they all, they all meet their maker. Ah, okay. Well, see, I can get behind that then. Yeah. Because then you can root against them, and if you're not rooting for someone, you can root against someone, and that's okay. I feel like there's a deeper take here. It's like succession has ruined society because we're all rooting against these people. And fundamentally, we have all changed our styles of how to interact with, with people because we're all rooting against each other. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll workshop is, that one through the brain. I'm rooting against <laughs> Puck Doku. <laughs> that, that's what this has come down to. Dom is rooting against Puck Doku. Uh, all right. Back in a minute here. Mark Schofield will join us from SB Nation. Uh, we will talk F1 on the other side and also – uh, a new series coming out on Netflix, the QB series. I will touch on it with Mark Schofield in just a minute here on The People's Show, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Oh, that's strong. 
the F1 theme. Noted An non- elite sports theme. Yeah, noted non-F1 guy myself, uh, Bick Nazar, Brendan Bachelor here. But that is strong. That, that, that's up there with Champions League. That's pretty good. Champions League to me is like the GOAT theme for any sport. Yeah, I think that so too. That is so good. Get charged up. Uh, Bick Nazar, Brendan Bachelor, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, we hear that F1 music. Uh, let's connect with our guy from SB Nation, F1 writer, Mark Schofield. Mark, how's your summer going? It's going well. The, the F1 stuff, Vic, is, is keeping me busy. And, you know, now we got NFL training camps around the corner. So it, it's a nice little change of pace for me doing the F1 stuff. But I'm excited to be here, excited to talk about what's going on. And, you know, if you want to throw an NFL question in, I wouldn't be opposed. Oh, we got some uh, yeah, some listeners texting in once we uh, said you were on the show today. So we'll, we'll throw some NFL stuff for you, uh, but we'll get to the Hungarian Grand Prix first. Yeah, and let's start with Daniel Ricardo. Why did Red Bull decide to make the switch now? Yeah, I mean, Brendan, that's a fascinating question. I think there are a couple of things at play here. I mean, I, I think one is Red Bull is thinking about the future. I know that there's been a lot said and written about, you know, the Ricardo move and whether it's to put pressure on Sergio Perez and, you know, maybe making a switch next to Verstappen this season. You know, Red Bull advisor Dr. Helmut Marco pushed back on that, said, look, Sergio is second in the points. He's second in the drivers right now. We're, we're where we are because of him. But he is up for a new contract after the 24 season, and he has struggled lately. And so I think the reason they did this now is, one, they want to get a better evaluation of Yuki Sedona and Alphatari, who's going to be driving alongside Ricardo now. You know, Nick DeVries has struggled. He's been under pressure for a couple of weeks now. There are rumblings that this move might happen, say, during the August shutdown. It happens now because they've taken a long look at DeVries, and they've realized that, look, he's a 28-year-old driver. He's not really a true rookie. He's been around for a while, even though this is his first full Formula One season. He's not improving. So Noda's been better than him pretty much every single week. He's out-qualified him seven to ten races. He's the only one that scored points for them. Is Sonoda really that much better, or is it just the breeze's bad? And so now you're going to put Ricardo into that seat, and you're going to get a better look at Yuki Sonoda. And if Sonoda continues to be the better of the two drivers now against Daniel Ricardo, who's obviously an experienced F1 driver, who's obviously won races, got podiums, was driving for Red Bull years ago, and Sonoda's still outperforming him, that's a nod to, hey, maybe down the road, 24, 25, if they don't go forward with Sergio Perez, maybe Yugi Sonoda gets that seat. Maybe Ricardo continues to do extremely well, and they decide maybe, you know, Ricardo is worth another crack at that seat next to Max Verstappen. Maybe they both continue to sort of have up and down races and weekends and qualifying, and they decide, you know what, Sergio Perez is still our best option. This is Red Bull right now is in such a good position and the constructors where they can start thinking about 24. They can start thinking about 25. Christiana Horner has basically said, we've already started developing the RB20 for next year. They're already thinking 24. They're thinking 25. And so this is a nod right now to the future, whether it's Sonoda, whether it's Ricardo, whether they're not satisfied with both and it's Perez, whether they're not satisfied with those three options and decide, hey, maybe Alex Albon or somebody else. But this is already Red Bull thinking about 24 and beyond. So if you're Perez – how are you taking this and, and what does his mindset have to be? Do you think? I mean, I think look, 
his mindset has to be better on Saturdays. That that's where his mind needs to be right now. He hasn't seen Q3 on a Saturday or a qualifying session since Miami at the start of May. And Max Verstappen basically came out and said it after qualifying this week in, in Silverstone. He's like, look, with the car we have, Q3 should be the minimum. Now, Perez has made the most of it. He, he again, got up into the points from starting you know, outside the top 10 this weekend at the British Grand Prix. But he needs to improve on Saturdays. He's a big reason why Verstappen won in 21. He's a big reason why they won the Constructors last year. He's a big, a good driver, and I think in many ways an ideal teammate, for Max Verstappen, but I think what he needs to improve upon is Saturdays right now. And look, the, as I said, a lot of people have said, well, maybe this is a move to put pressure on him. I don't think as much. And he basically said this week, he was asked about it. He said, no, I'm not reading anything into this. And I think that's the right mind frame. But I do think he has to improve on Saturdays. It's great that with some of these weeks where he hasn't seen Q2, where he hasn't seen Q3, he's been able to get back through the field and get into the points. And that speaks to both his, his skill as a driver as well as the dominance of the RB19. But just get it into the points should not be the standard with what they have at their disposal in their car. He's got to be back on podiums, and he's got to get into Q3 to do that. And so improvement on Saturday needs to be his focus right now. I don't think you should read too much into, you know, a move being made with Ricardo or Sonoda or somebody else this year or even next. But I think he has to start showing that, yeah, I can be more consistent. I can get into Q3 as should be, you know, the minimum as the teammate said, week in, week out, race in, race out. Doesn't have to be second all the time. Doesn't have to win all the time. Doesn't have to get podiums all the time. But get into Q3 and put himself in position to get those podiums. That's where he has to focus right now. Uh, so what's going to be important for Ricardo then for the rest of this season as far as finishing on podiums? I mean, here's the big thing, you know, and a lot of people read into the Silverstone tire test earlier this week. You know, he – there were rumblings. Lawrence Barreto from F1.com said times he put down would have put him on the front row at Silverstone. Racefans.com, they tweeted out a time of 127, which was almost three seconds faster than guys like Hulkenberg, Albon, and Magnussen were also doing the tire test. He was doing that in the RB19. He's not going to be driving the RB19. He's going to be at AlphaTauri, the A204, which has been a less than dominant car. And so the main thing that he needs to do is A, be better than DeVries was, which frankly shouldn't be that hard. DeVries really struggled this year. But push Sonoda, keep pace with him, you know, steal, uh, get into Q3 a couple of times here and there, get into the points here and there, outscore Sonoda down the stretch. If he does that, then yeah, Red Bull might take another look at him because let's, let's face it, since he left Red Bull a couple of years ago, they've gone through Albon, Gasly, now Sergio Perez, maybe this is a path to him getting back to Red Bull. And if he continues, you know, if he gets into Q3 fairly consistently, if he outperforms Yuki Sonoda, he might find himself back there sooner rather than later. Mark Schofield of SB Nation with us here on The People's Show on Sportsnet 650. Want to ask you about Lance Stroll and Lawrence Stroll and how much longer Lawrence can keep a seat for Lance before he feels the heat, do you think? (laughs) I mean, that's the big question, right? Because Aston Martin had a fantastic start to the season. You're looking at a driver in Fernando Alonso that, you know, right now in a very good spot, you know, the driver's standings, he's sort of pushing Perez for that number two spot right now. But then you're looking at Lance, who's had a very up and down year. And that car, the MR23, 
It's obviously, you know, a, a carbon copy of the Red Bull, Dan Fallows, who's now, you know, their head of vehicle development, was head of aerodynamics at Red Bull for years. You know, Horner and Perez and others have seen that car and at the first race of the season, they said it's great to see three Red Bulls on the podium. Of course, one was Fernando Alonso's. That's a car that's performing well. Stroll isn't. And Lawrence Stroll probably has a decision to make here in the next couple of years. And we're getting into driver's silly season of how much longer is he satisfied, you know, with his son sort of underperforming. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is how much more, how much longer is Fernando Alonso going to race? Do you have two drivers to potentially replace down the road here? But that's a huge question facing Aston Martin because, you know, they were in a very good position at the start of the year, but now things seem to be tightening up in that midfield. They've had some up-and-down performances. Stroll has struggled the past couple of races. Certainly had a couple of run-ins with Gasly this past weekend at Silverstone. I, the patience has to be wearing thin, particularly, you know, with the way the midfield is bunching up behind Red Bull. If you have an opportunity to make a run and you don't seize it, you might not get one anytime soon. And so he's going to be under a lot of pressure here in the next couple of weeks. Lance is to perform. And if he doesn't, then Lawrence is going to be in there even more pressure to make a tough decision about his driver lineup. You mentioned success of Red Bull and just the, the look, they're, they're planning for, for seasons beyond already. Uh, what does it mean for the next groups then of trying to push for second in the constructor championships as well? Yeah. I mean, Lewis Hamilton's talked about it a little bit over the past couple of weeks, how, under the cost cap, you know, Red Bull is in a situation right now where they might defeat the cost cap. You know, the cost cap is put in to kind of tighten things up, and it's tightened things up from, say, two to eight, but it hasn't tightened it up from two and three up to one. And Red Bull, if, again, you know, they can start developing their 24 car, the RB20, you know, if they can just kick the cost can down the road and say, okay, yeah, we don't have to spend, we don't get to spend as much as the other teams, but we can start deferring costs by spending 24 money in 23 and so on, you know, will they have defeated the cost cap? I think that's fascinating. Now, what you're also hearing from some teams is they might be sort of waving the white flag. Total Wolf, Mercedes team principal, came out this past week and said, we're not sure if we're going to figure our car out this year. We'll be tinkering and stuff, but we got to start thinking about next season too. You might see some teams like Mercedes, like Ferrari, like even maybe Aston Martin say, we're not going to catch Red Bull. Yeah, we'll tinker, we'll have upgrades, we'll tweak downforce and things like that for some track-specific changes week-to-week, Grand Prix to Grand Prix, but we're going to start thinking about what we can do for next year. And so you might see those teams that are stacking up behind them in the constructors, like Mercedes, like Ferrari, start thinking, well, they're going to move on to 24, so are we. We're going to sort of start using our 23 money for 24 development and, and cues for next year because we're not going to catch them this year. We're going to set ourselves up better for next year. What about McLaren? Have their upgrades meant that, that they might be able to push up for the Constructors' Championship into that conversation with some of those other teams? Maybe. You know, it's fascinating because they were bad at preseason testing. Andreas Deller, their team principal, said, we're going to have upgrades for Azerbaijan, the fourth race of the week. I got to sit down with Lando Norris before that race, and he said, yeah, we've got some new parts coming, but – it's really just where the car should have been, where the MCL 60 should have been when the season began. They brought some upgrades for Norris a couple of weeks ago, you know, and he performed well at the Austrian Grand Prix. Now they brought him to Silverstone for Piastri. They get a P2, a P3 in qualifying. They get P2 in the race with Norris and a P4 from Piastri. You get a safety car that sort of gave him a bit of a bad break there, but they looked great. They were really fast on the lawn straights. Their problem right now, though, 
downforce, the slow speed corners. And that's where they're going to see the Hungarian Grand Prix. It's a much different track than Silverstone, a lot of slower speed corners. So you might see them sort of take a step back over the next Grand Prix because the MCL 60 might not be as suited for that track as it was Silverstone. And this is sort of where we might be right now with the way the midfield has tightened up. A team like McLaren could look great one week, maybe not so great the next week because of the dimensions and the configuration of the given track. They've certainly made some improvements, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. But as we get into silly season, we're also hearing rumblings that, you know, maybe if Red Bull goes in a different direction down the road, maybe it's Lando Norris they have their eyes on. There's a report out of, out of Italian media that seems to think that the Red Bull might look at Norris down the road. But McLaren deserves a lot of credit for the improvements that they've made. I just don't know if it's going to be enough overall to get them where they'd like to be. Uh, Mark, uh, actually, while we were talking about uh, Lance Stroll, I, I think you kind of gave this answer, but I'll, I'll pass it along from the, from the listeners because we got one in 650-650 in our inbox. Will Stroll ever get a podium this season? And I imagine uh, the answer is no. It's, it's so hard. And this is one of those things that, you know, when I was talking to Norris a couple of weeks ago, you know, there are only so many opportunities. You know, if you look at, you know, the field right now, with Red Bull the way they are, if Sergio Perez has the kind of performance on Saturdays that he's expected to, you're looking at two spots right there that are taken, you know, between him and Verstappen. And then you've got one slot left and a crowded field to fight for it. Now, look, things happen. He could get a break here and there. And he's a solid driver. I just don't know if a podium is something that is certainty, you know, that's certainly going to happen for him. It would have to take, you know, a luck, you know, some breaks to go his way, have to have a real dominant performance. Now, there are some tracks coming up where I think the AMR 23 could perform better. You know, Lalonzo has talked about some of these tracks we've seen recently really don't suit that car. I think some of the tracks you can just see coming up, Spa, for example, it might be one where they could have a better performance and you might see him contend for a, for a podium. But given how good the Red Bulls are, if Sergio Perez has the types of weeks that he should, the types of qualifying sessions that he should, it's hard to see Stroll out fighting everybody else for that last spot on the podium. Talking to our guy, Mark Schofield from SB Nation, uh, covers F1 and also the NFL. Uh, have you had a chance to uh, dig into the Netflix uh, QB doc yet? I've watched the first two. It's fantastic. I mean, look, for, for somebody like me, you know, sort of during the, the NFL season, I'm really year-round sort of eats, breathes, yeah. eats quarterbacks when I'm not eats, breathing, and sleeping F1. It, it, it's, you know, it's magical. And what I'm really excited about, a lot of friends, a lot of people in the industry have told me that episode four, which I haven't gotten to yet, is really deep into the X's and O's weeds. So I'm really excited about that. You know, I, I think it's, it's a well-done, you know, it's a well-done docuseries. The production value is great. The looks we're getting at these three quarterbacks, fantastic. Starting to see, you know, a side of Mahomes that you see every now and again, but, you know, the sort of trash-talking nature of them that you see on the sidelines in some of these episodes has been fantastic. So it's a great production. I mean, you know, the types of programming we're getting, whether it's this, whether it's, you know, Drive to Survive with F1, mm -hmm. the, the Tour de France one, Unchained, which, you know, I just finished. That's fantastic. These sort of docu-series with a look at, you know, the sporting world, they're all fantastic. And this one, the quarterback one, is great, too.
Yeah, I'm excited to get uh, my my teeth into that one because we we spend so much time talking uh, quarterback with you. Uh, and I saw this Netflix series. Like, All right, I was like, usually Tuesdays with Mark. You know, we do a pretty good job covering uh, what quarterbacks are doing. Uh, but I'm excited to uh, check this one out. Uh, we also got a uh, text earlier uh, from Barry in Nanus Bay saying uh, Seahawks expectations this season. Now NFC's wide open this year, uh, as we've seen previous years as well. But just a a, a primer on uh, what Seahawks fans can expect this year. Look, this is a team that should be fighting for a playoff spot yet again. Partly, like you said, Vic, the, the NFC is a bit more wide open. And I think a team that realistically could be fighting for that division. You know, we look at the Rams, we look at the Cardinals, two teams that we expect to be on the downside of things. Certainly the San Francisco 49ers are an incredibly talented roster, but they do have a quarterback question to figure out. You know, is it going to be Brock Purdy? healthy, back, your starting quarterback. Is it going to be Trey Lance? Is it going to be Sam Darnold? I'd be surprised if it were Darnold, mm-hmm. but I can't say it's a non-zero chance that it will be a, the starting quarterback there. And then you look at, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, a team obviously coming off a playoff berth of their own. I think you look at the three wide-out package they're going to put together. Lockett, Metcalf, Smith, and Jigba. That's as almost ideal as it gets as a sort of 11 personnel package. And I think you look at what Geno Smith did last year, you know, what he did in the deep passing game, you know, what he did playing from the pocket. This is an offense that I think is going to put up points that's going to be tough to defend if you're a defensive coordinator or game plan for, for those three receivers, you know, what you're going to get out of Noah Fant. I mean, this is a team that on paper should be pushing for, you know, that NFC West division title. Now, whether they end up winning or not remains to be seen, but it's a team that I'm excited to watch, a team that I think should have high expectations going into this year. Uh, last one for you here, too, as well, um, as we uh, get ready for this NFL season. Um, this, this thought coming in from Mike in Maple Ridge that he's getting ex- excited for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, are, are they like the sneaky, sexy underdog team through this offseason? I, they might be. I mean, the NFC South, I think, and this is something we're actually cooking up over at SB Nation as part of our NFL preview, they might be the NFL's most chaotic division, right? Because right. You've got, obviously, the Carolina Panthers, Bryce Young, rookie quarterback there. Obviously, you know, the, the, the quarterback battle, as it were, between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask, that's going to have some, some you know chaotic moments to it. You've got Derek Carr coming in, obviously, in New Orleans. But then you look at what they've put together down in Atlanta. And, you know, obviously adding Robinson into that offense, you know, you can kind of see where Arthur Smith is going with things. We know what he did in Tennessee where you have Derrick Henry and you've got Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback that, you know, Desmond Ritter has basically said, yeah, he kind of mirrored his game after a little bit. They're trying to build that sort of play-action offense, ball-control passing game, you know, get Bijan Robinson involved early and often they could have something with that offense. Now, Desmond Ritter is a big question mark. You know, he's somebody that a lot of people, myself included, liked coming out of Cincinnati. You know, I think he could fit with what they're trying to build. I'm very curious to see if they use him even more in the QB run game. That's, you know, it was a big part of last year in the NFL with all the two deep safety stuff and light boxes, getting that quarterback involved as a run threat. They can do that with him, get Robinson involved in the run game and the passing game, do some more stuff with Kyle Pitts. I mean, He's an absolute unicorn. Use him out in the boundary. Get him in line and tight end. You get Drake London. They could have something there. And so, I again, it's a very chaotic division. 
But if we get to say November and, and you know they're sitting atop it, it wouldn't surprise me. Mark, uh, it's a blast hearing you uh, during the summer. I uh, can't wait to reconnect uh, during the season. Thanks so much, my friends. Always a great time. Have a great afternoon and have a great weekend. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Enjoy the race this weekend. That's our guy at Mark Schofield on Twitter if you're not already following on the socials as well. Next weekend. Next weekend. Next weekend. Yes, sorry. Uh, next weekend for the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix. All right. Uh, actually, speaking of racing, I, I didn't – look, I've been in the bubble. I've been doing the uh, – Aaron Rodgers' darkness retreat, basically, for four days here. I did not learn about this until I came into the studio today. Uh, Mario Kart is uh, done the Vancouver treatment. There's a track on the latest edition of Mario Kart, whatever. Uh, downloadable content. Okay. down DLC, as the kids yes. say. Uh, you can download a Vancouver track. It's called Vancouver Velocity, I believe. I believe, yeah. I believe. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I saw pretty funny video making the rounds on social media that it was like this is what the the vancouver mario kart track is going to be and then it was like the the race starting and then it was videos of like buses sliding downhill in the snow <laughs> and like just all the chaos that As happens on be. our roads yeah it's an ice track so Dom, get to the have tunnel you, have it's you played all packed it? up you can't go anywhere. yeah exactly. it's standing in traffic <laughs> <laughs> at five o'clock in the afternoon in the tunnel <laughs> Just on the ironworkers, like I'm just trying to get to North End. What's going on here? So, Dom, you've played the track? No, no. Oh, you're, the you're... plan is to do it on the plane this weekend. Oh, ah. there you go. So, so you're you're waiting to do the DLC, yes, and start playing it out. Uh, wrong answers only. We'll we'll pull back a, a classic people show one here. Trope. Uh, yes. Uh, where? What should the track? Like, where should the track have gone in the Lower Mainland? Do we know where it went? Like, so do we, it, it goes. Do through, you have any details about it? It goes through Gastown. Gastown. Whistler. Um, through Rogers Arena? Capilano Bridge. Yeah. Rogers Arena. Uh, goes next to BC Place and Falls Creek. It splits the Canucks defenseman <laughs> perfectly as it drives down yeah. the middle. Yeah. No back check from Ryan Miller. <laughs> it's like the uh, McDavid goal when he goes through Hughes and, and Tanev. Yeah. yeah, you're, you're like, having to yeah. drive around the, Actually, the Canucks so defenseman. It literally goes through the rink, right? Yes. So you're driving like in the... Like yes. It says Mario Arena. It doesn't sure. say Rogers Arena. But uh, is it clear that it's Rogers Arena as opposed to like BC Place or something well, like that? Well, the scoreboard is the exact same scoreboard as is in Rogers oh, Arena, okay. and you have the burgundy seats. So, yes, they... They went into detail. They Good for them. The, bur- the burgundy seats make yeah. make their it's... way into Mario Kart. Yeah. I love it. And, and there's Mario characters there's on the There's shy guys playing shy guys, okay. hockey, yeah. So, okay. Texting two wrong answers only. Uh, what should the track have been if it's in the lower mainland? And two, what should the moment be on the ice that Mario characters could be portraying? If there's, if there's slaying famous, the, it has to be slaying the dragon, slaying, doesn't it? Uh, well, wrong answers only. It can be the Is there a shy guy the running off to the bathroom. Well, the best the best thing to me on on Rogers Arena ice is the Crosby goal. But if, if we want, can't if, get the oh, rights, we want wrong answers. If, if, we, if we want the inverse. I mean, oh. that would be the wrong answer because the Olympics would never sell it to them. Uh, uh, people are texting in the Roger Nielsen statue is in the game as well. Yes, it oh, is. Oh, cool. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mike and Willoughby should have pr- predicted this one. Course needs to be on the seawall with Reach being all the spectators. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
And you can drive a BMW for yeah. that. You actually, I think it's a Mercedes. You can oh, drive. Oh, Mercedes. In, uh, Sorry, I thought it was a BMW. In Mario Kart. Incredible. Good shout in the inbox. Uh, before we go to break, because I know we have to get to Barkley Barnetta, we do have a touch of somewhat breaking news. Oh, no, no. What's the name? Oh, no, no. Is it official? What's the name? Let's go. We don't have a here we go yet, but according to Gianluca Di Marzio of uh, Sky Sports. Is that reach in the producer's chair? My wow. goodness, that pronunciation. And I'm European as well. You know, I can. I can sling it with the best of them. Uh, Inter have sold Andre Onana to Manchester United. To peel back the curtain today as well, uh, everyone's listening. They know who's working the show today. All of us. Myself, Batch, Victor, uh, and Dom. Four for four for Man United fans. It's amazing that we got... This far into the show, into what the like show? nearly ninety minutes into yeah. the show without bringing this up. But apparently, he had dinner for the last time in in Milan, according to Fu, to uh, Fabrizio Romano. Uh, and so, the final details for Andre, Andre, Andre. There, there we go. Replacing David De Gea at yeah. Old Trafford as the new keeper. I had for moved Man on. United. I was looking at the next thing. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's the middle of the <laughs> summer. No one will remember. We'll bring it back uh, later in, uh, on in the show because uh, we definitely wanted to touch on this. But uh, it is breaking news. Uh, Manchester United will have a new keeper. Uh, all right. Typical Manchester United signing a midfielder and a goalkeeper before what they really need, which, of course, is let's, a Yes. Let's not get into that. Look, I, I want to I talk about the signing. I don't want to cry for the next 90 minutes. <laughs> we do have to get to Barkley. Uh, we can right. do both. The People's GM on the way from your Vancouver Giants uh, coming up here on The People's Show, Sportsnet 650.